0: Hello, and welcome to Movie Fixers, the podcast where we don't just critique movies, but also talk about how they could sort of, kind of, maybe just a little, be a bit better. As always, I'm your host, Tony, and with me again is my fellow Slytherin in Hogwarts, my fellow Wampus in Ilvermorny, and definitely no, no, Madge. Mad Goat, that's me. I'm here. <laughs> I love your introductions. Get better every time. <laughs> I may have rehearsed that one a little. But... You
1: know what? It didn't. Cu- it didn't come across as super rehearsed. So that you did great. You did really great.
0: And it's all factual. I am in fact a Slytherin, as are you, and we're both in Wampus in Ilvermorny, thanks to the Pottermore website. Enough
1: about us. Let's talk about what movie we're going to be fixing today. Do you want to tell everyone what we're doing?
0: Sure. You know, it has a little bit of something to do with the uh, the topic at hand about Slytherin, Ilvermorny. We are doing <clears throat> Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them, the almost longest title I've ever read. So the movie we're doing today
1: is the first movie in a new franchise set in the world, wizarding world of Harry Potter. Um, if you don't know what Harry Potter is, then I, I honestly... I. Maybe envy you just a hair because that's insane that you can get this far in life without knowing what that is. But most people are at least familiar with the concept of Harry Potter. and these new movies are a,, um, they're a prequel of sorts. They're not a direct prequel in that they follow, you know, Harry, obviously, but they, they're set in the same world and the events that we're, we're watching in these movies definitely lead up to the things that we've seen in the previous films. It
0: had a $180 million budget. I just knew that off the top of my head. Its opening weekend in the U.S. was only $74 million, but don't worry because its gross in the U.S. was $234 million. And more importantly, the cumulative worldwide gross of the movie was $814 million. Another reason people shouldn't be worried that the uh, crimes of Grindelwald the second in this series is not doing so hot on its opening weekend. It tends to make all its money slowly over time and not just not just based on what happens in the US.
1: Uh, The movie had a Rotten Tomatoes score of 74%. It was generally well received by critics and audiences, even though I mean, I I wouldn't say it was like a critical hit, but you know, it was generally well received by people, including us for that matter.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I enjoyed this movie. As did I. Overall.
1: I think we need to get into our synopsis. We, do, do we have Jess back with us this week with a, with a synopsis? Yes,
0: Je- Jess Aducci has prepared us another synopsis. I think we kind of almost broke her this time. This, is, this movie's got a lot going on in it, and she managed to give us the synopsis in under half an hour. I got a few notes, but how about we go ahead and get that started, and then we'll come back to it. All right, take it away, Jess.
2: Hey guys, I'm back with another fantastic summary. We soar into a dark place where there's a team of wizards blasted by the wizard we'll come to know as Grindelwald. Newspapers fly by and we see that Grindelwald is wreaking havoc and there's a dark wizard threat, along with little snippets of other wizarding world news and fun, you know, Quidditch and moving images and all that stuff. The summary, there are factions in the wizarding world and one is very anti-nomadge, led by Grindelwald. Yeah, that's apparently the American term for muggles, the nomadge, th- no magic. We're not very inventive. Um, so nomadges, I, <clears throat> okay, I can't, I can't use that term. Uh, it's muggles. We're just going to go with muggles. Muggles aren't keen on wizards right now either. And by the end of this little flash by of newspapers, Grindelwald has disappeared. And we're told it's 1927. So by the way, I had to pause the intro about four times to get all of that. The whole movie's a bit like that, packed with information, like I mentioned, and it, it all passes by a little too quickly. It's just going to be part of the fix, I'm sure. No worries. Just kind of made my job a little difficult. I'm going to try to make things a little easier for you guys and make them stick where I can. So, Newt, uh, Newt's commander, main headlining character, is on a boat and talking to some something in his suitcase. Welcome to New York. He has to get through customs and barely skates through with a muggle-safe switch on his case. Which I thought was pretty cool. This is our hero, okay? Newt. Someone is telling a couple of guys about some kind of dark mass that destroyed a building. Graves shows up. Uh, it's Colin Farrell as Graves, by the way. Uh, a ministry official, and uh, the dark thing cuts a trail through the building and the ground as it gets away. Um, so it's still there and it zips out. The dark thing is the main bad guy. Cut to someone is yelling about the awesome tech of the time, but warning uh, that there's something dark at work as well. She calls herself a 2nd Salem'er, which, by the way, trying to say and type is incredibly difficult. So if I stumble over that a number of times, I should just call them the SS, which would be kind of funny because it's like a Nazi reference. So anyway, I may just call them the the SS. Um, Eventually, we learn it's an anti-witch group, hence the Nazi joke. Um, Credence uh is introduced here who is played by ezra miller and um this group puts a face on the anti-witchers in the muggle world okay so so far we have our hero our dark thing bad guy and anti-witch muggles okay newt bumps into a chick and a dude he realizes a niffler which we haven't actually learned the name of yet but are given the vague impression that it's some kind of like platypus creature that loves money has gotten away and run into a muggle bank This is to introduce us to the pro-creature crowd because Newt's all about the creatures and he's about helping the creatures and he runs after the creature. Um, Newt follows the Niffler into the bank. Weird chick watches the one he bumped into. Newt talks to the dude he bumped into and we discover the dude is there for a loan for a bakery. This is to introduce the muggle faction who will have to explain everything to. Okay, so we have good guy, bad guy, anti-witch in the muggle world. Pro-creature in the magical world, and now a muggle person. All right. Newt takes off uh, and leaves some sort of egg behind, which the baker dude picks up before going into his meeting. Newt continues the hunt for the Niffler. Baker dude is kicked out of his meeting with no loan, um, just sort of laughed out. Newt uses a spell to bring the baker with him and disappears into a stairwell. Literally, disapparation. And is it apparition? Disapparition? I'm going to say disapparition, and they're going to have to correct me. The egg hatches, and it's a dragon? I'm not really sure. We don't get a good look at it. Uh, But Newt heads to the basement to add the thing to his collection while the baker tries to process what on earth is happening. So he's been drugged along because he had that egg. The Niffler uh, squeezes into the bank vault, just as the guy who didn't give the baker the loan finds them opening the vault and sets off the alarm. Newt empties the Niffler's pockets. Apparently, like, little platypus has little kangaroo pockets. It's kind of weird and awesome. Uh, And as the guards come in with the guns, Newt disapparates them both away. Uh, Newt tries to obliviate, which, if you're not familiar with Harry Potter World, that means erase uh, the baker's memory. But the baker wallops him over the head and gets away. The weird chick who's been following them grabs Newt and disapparates she questions him and takes him to the american version of the ministry the makuza which sounds a whole lot like yakuza which is kind of funny to me i'm not sure if that was a direct reference or not but it stands for magical congress of the usa when she learns he didn't wipe the baker's memory because that's like a big offense uh, we learn that newt was here for a magical creature but magical creatures have been banned in new york she introduces the anti creature sentiment of the 1927 magical world okay so let me let me just go over it hero bad guy um the group that's the anti-witchers in the muggle world pro-creature crowd in the magical world muggle faction and now we have anti-creature people in the magical world so we have pro-creature anti-creature uh we get lots of glimpses of the american ministry and learn that the weird chick's name is goldstein tina goldstein but i just i just like goldstein uh the heads of the congress including graves colin farrell Meet about the beast from the beginning that's tearing up New York. The president wants it taken care of because she doesn't want a war. These people introduce the magic people who fear discovery faction. So they're not anti-Muggle, but they're like they don't mix well. They they want to stay hidden. Um, okay. It's, it's hard keeping track of the threads. That's why I'm trying to help. All right. Goldstein comes in and gets turned down flat by the president. It's uh, trying to turn Newt in. Apparently, she's an ex-auror who's kind of like a really awesome detective in the magical world. Like, really, really awesome. Like, bounty hunter slash detective slash most awesome cop you've ever seen. Uh, and she's trying to get her job back. Um, she apparently lost her job. Newt and Goldstein talk about his work with magical creatures. Um, It's reinforced that people in this time don't like magical creatures and often kill them. So Newt is on a journey of uh, logging these creatures, finding more out about them, and eventually writing the book we'll come to know in the Harry Potter universe as Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. He's very pro-creature. Goldstein gets in trouble for tracking second Salemers. So some guy comes in and is like, hey, you shouldn't be doing that. And that's why she was there in the first place. That's where she and Newt bumped into each other. Um, Graves comes to ask after Newt, and they discover the baker has the creature case uh, in the midst of all this. At the baker's place, some of the creatures burst out of the case and get away. The SS, I'm just going to start calling them SS. The SS are chilling in some kind of dark, creepy building, but they do end up giving food to kids after they tell them how bad witches are. Newt and Goldstein follow one of the creatures to a major hubbub at the baker's place. The baker, by the way, is Jacob. Um, I neglected his name so long because we don't learn his first name for forever. His last name's Kowalski. And there's just kind of a, a running theme of not really getting a great handle on people's names in this. Like, I just couldn't keep up with people's names. And that's really, like, weird because I had the subtitles on, too. Um... So, Newt finds Jacob and cleans up the mess that his creatures made, which they, like, decimated part of the building, as Goldstein finds him. As Goldstein and Newt argue over how to handle Jacob, who's been bitten by a creature, it's revealed that in America, magical and non-magical people are kept very separate by law. Newt doesn't really want to stick around. Seems like he's got something else better to do. We're not entirely sure. But Goldstein ins- insists he help with Jacob. And as they disapparate, the Niffler is revealed in the wall. So, he's one of the creatures that got away. Some other creature must have made it out because it steals a kid's food and morphs into a poster uh, and overall just wreaks a little havoc and another creature um, it grows in it, gr- it grows huge and might be a dragon or something it it's kind of unclear everything just sort of melds together um, with the creatures getting away and the fact that we can't really see them the SS show up um, with a guy named Shaw who we come to find out is Well, it doesn't matter. He's named Shaw to some muggle bigwigs who include John Voight, who I didn't even know was in this movie. Um, They want the truth about the disturbances in New York in the paper. So they're at a paper, and they're trying to convince, like, the big guys, who apparently the muggle is related to. So they're all Shaw's. Um, They want information about witches and all that stuff put in the newspapers. The bigwig muggles think... that they're all freaks, including the one they related to, the muggle, and um, they get sent off. Um, Goldstein and Newt take Jacob to her place. We cut back to them, and we kind of pull back the story a little bit. We're slow down a little bit. Um, they go in and magical stuff is happening, and we're introduced to Goldstein's sister Queenie. Jacob is in love as soon as he sees Queenie. Um, Jacob overall is just constantly being bombarded by all this new stuff the whole time. So, I mean, as soon as he walks in and he sees all this magical stuff, he's already, like, wide-eyed. But, yeah, Queenie blows his socks off. It's crazy. Queenie starts reading uh, the Baker's Mind, which is a fun little edition, and the sisters prepare a magical meal. Uh, Newt keeps trying to sneak out, but they won't let him. Um, so we cut back to Credence and Graves. We're kind of back and forth a lot. We cut back to Credence and Graves and realize they know each other. So Graves from the Ministry, Credence from the SS. Um... By the way, Credence is supposed to be, like, in his teens. I should probably say that. Like, Ezra Miller, you know, can play a lot of different ages. My impression is that he's 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 a teenager of some sort, and he knows Colin Farrell from the ministry. Um, apparently, they've been connected for a while, and Graves calls Credence special. They're looking for a child together, and Credence wants to be a part of the Wizarding World. That's what we get. Back at the dinner party, Jacob and Queenie are totally falling for each other, while Goldstein and Newt are definitely kind of awkward and like, do we have to be here? The boys head to bed, but Newt's totally faking. He climbs into his suitcase and calls for Jacob to follow. Apparently, muggles and magic folk have different physiology. So Newt tries to help Jacob with a creature bite while he takes care of his creatures. So he's like down there to be a game warden kind of thing. Um, We're introduced to Frank, a bird creature that apparently calls Arizona home. So now we know why Newt is really in America um, to take Frank home. And there are lots of others I couldn't remember the names of. They're, they're pretty cool. There's a wide variety of them. Um, so, yeah. Um, Newt seems all too happy to tell Jacob about it all. It's kind of like when you see a totally anti-ser social person like light up about something. Um, he obviously loves creatures. Some dark cloud thing is being cared for, too. Um, Newt warns Jacob off of it and A calls it an Obscurus. Um, it seems dangerous. Newt wants to set out to look for his creatures before humans destroy them. Um, not much faith in humanity, and Jacob doesn't want to at first because he cares about the girls. And you know, he said, "Well, we told him we'd stick around." But when he finds out he'll he'll be forced to forget everything, he'll he helps Newt. So begins the creature hunt. Credence goes back home. The mom beats him with his own belt. Yep, little dark. Um, Meanwhile, some kind of creature flows under the ice of a pond. I guess maybe, you know, probably at Central Park or something since they're in New York. Um, Newt and Jacob get to know one another as they sort of trek around New York. Jacob's likable. And Newt finds out Jacob didn't get his loan and is an ex-soldier. And apparently so is Newt. Um, They track down the Niffler and get him back in the suitcase. But then muggle cops nearly catch them until a lion shows up, which allows them to get away. Which is awesome, but what? What? So they go to Central Park and realize all kinds of animals have gotten out of the zoo because one of the creatures is there. Um, cut back to the girls real quick. The girls finally realize the boys have gone. Um, Newt completely outfits Jacob with some kind of armor and they track down the beastie with a very awkward love dance and scent. It's incredibly awkward. But instead of really taking the bait and going after Newt, it it heads for Jacob and seems to be in love, like scary. It's this giant hippo rhino thing, and it's r- like, what is it doing? And it's really scary. Um, Newt's wand is stolen by a monkey, and so just before Jacob's run down, Newt gets the the wand back and gets the thing back in the case. So they have one more BC to nab. So they've nabbed the Niffler and this other thing, and they have one left, but Goldstein is caught up and spies on them, and apparently steals the suitcase after they've gone in. I must have missed those like two seconds um and we're back with the big wig muggles the shaws something zooms down the street and goldstein is there as it knocks out all the lights um the thing attacks the speech hall where the shaws are kills shaw jr and destroys the place um the shaw that tried to convince daddy was some that something was up is now totally vindicated Goldstein interrupts a meeting at the Congress of all kinds of important people discussing the attack. Um, She finally admits that Newt is there and that there are magical creatures on the loose. Newt knows that an Obscurus killed Shaw Jr. after looking at him um, and is arrested after his suitcase is impounded. (laughs) So they think he did it. Um, In jail, Goldstein and Newt discuss the Obscurus. So apparently when wizards were hunted by muggles, some would try to suppress their magic. Um, they developed an Obscurus, a dark force that would burst out, attack, and disappear again. Um, supposedly, they can't survive long. Like, this dark force is so strong. Uh, so Shaw Jr. must have been killed by a kid. That's their conclusion. Um, back to the SS. The kid's sister, who I haven't really mentioned, but it's always in scenes with the SS mom and Credence, um, is now highlighted as a suspect as she keeps singing her creepy witch song. And they're sending kids out as creepy spies. Everything about them is creepy, in case you haven't caught up on that. Um, Newt is carted off for questioning. We learned that Newt was thrown out of Hogwarts because of a beast attack and Dumbledore fought for him. Um, they think he intentionally set the creatures loose in New York to start a war between magical and non-magical people by revealing the existence of wizards. Um, and he takes a moment to point out, I'm not with Grindelwald because that's something Grindelwald would do. Apparently. Um, Graves brings the Obscurus from Newt's suitcase and Newt explains that it can't survive without a host. Uh, when Graves seems a little too interested in it, um, it's floating in this thing and Newt says it can't survive out of that thing it's floating in unless it has a host. And Graves is like, hmm, um, suddenly Graves seems shady, but he blames Newt for everything and sentences him to death and Goldstein too for aiding and abetting. Now things are getting like double down serious. I mean, Death. So, Queenie realizes what's happening with her, you know, mind-reading abilities and rushes out. The other wizard seems strangely okay with killing their people. They're like, no, calm down. It's okay. And then, apparently, at, like, at first I thought this part was more about taking a wizard's memory, but then I realized it's been using, it. it's being used to trick them into, like, drowning themselves or, like, be sucked in by this death pool thing that they have. It's like a, like a, like an evil version of a pensieve. Um... I really disturbing to be honest. Um, Queenie nabs Jacob and together in the most adorable fashion, they set off to rescue Goldstein and Newt. Um, apparently Goldstein saw Credence being beaten and that's why she's been tracking the SS. This is revealed through memories that are taken from her and that, you know, we're seeing in this pool. Um, Newt's fun plant creature, uh, gets the cuffs off that it's, I haven't mentioned him before, but like I said, he's got lots of creatures and some of them hang out, you know, in his coat. Um, And he uses his other creature, another one that hangs out in his coat, to disrupt everything, including the, like, death pool thing that's trying to kill Goldstein. Um, She finally trusts Newt and jumps out of the pool to get away from all of that. Newt uses his creatures to break out while Queenie and Jacob create distractions and nab Newt's suitcase. Queenie sneaks them all out past a nosy boss-slash-admirer. It's kind of a fun scene. Uh, Graves talks to Credence and heals the wounds inflicted by his mom. Uh, so he's still kind of, you know, caring for him. There's lots of hugging happening Um they're, they're still looking for the child. And obviously, Credence just wants love and receives this thing from Graves that will notify him if um, if Credence finds the child for them. Uh, the, the foursome, the uh, Newt, Queenie, Goldstein and Jacob, uh, they chat on a rooftop. And we learn that the last creature to be caught is, caught, is Dougal. And he's a demiguise who's invisible. Goldstein gets the idea that an ex-informant might help them track Dougal. Finding the informant apparently requires going to to a speakeasy, which is fun to see. Queenie and Jacob flirt some more while Newt and Goldstein talk about Credence and um, her attack on the SS chick when she found out that Credence was, you know being beaten and all that stuff. The informant, Narlac, demands the bow truckle, which is the plant creature, um, from Newt. He reluctantly gives him up and narlac gives them a location for Dougal. But he's also led the Makuza to the speakeasy and just sort of disappears. Um thankfully he didn't disappear with the plant creature, with the bow truckle, and Newt gets it back and the foursome get away. Um whew, okay, we're almost done. We're almost done. Um the foursome track down Dougal and realize he's babysitting an Akmi that got away. That that dragon-esque thing that we saw earlier. Newt tries to calm the Akmi as they track down an insect and a teapot. So he he explains before this that the Acmi fills grows to fill whatever space it's in. So they're trying to track down an insect and a teapot. Thankfully, Dougal is there to protect Jacob. He can see the future and he knows that Jacob will be hurt potentially. So he's protecting Jacob. The Akami goes after the roach in the teapot, makes itself smaller to fill the teapot. So now they have all the creatures back, and they put all the creatures back in the, su- in the suitcase. In this quiet moment, the Lestranges are introduced. Um, Queenie keeps accidentally reading Newt's mind and comments on his relationship with Lita Lestrange, um, played by Zoe Kravitz. So if I would seen this movie initially when it came out in theaters, I would have been like, hmm, that's going to be a big deal because Zoe Kravitz is, you know, a big enough deal to be a big deal. Um, They make a brief mention of the American wizardry school, um, Ilvermorny, before Frank the bird goes crazy because there's danger somewhere. Graves is arriving to find dead mom and Credence. Um, Graves starts beating Credence when he won't say where his sister went. On a dime, not loving anymore, not hugging, slapping the face. Um, They try to find the sister and Graves reveals that Credence is a squib. Um... Squibs are, are... They come from magical stock, but they don't have any magic themselves. Um, Credence thought Graves was going to take him in and teach him stuff and develop his magical abilities, but Graves totally leaves him. Um, Graves finds the sister when something starts tearing the building apart. Um, Credence is the Obscurus. Graves immediately regrets all of his decisions and starts sucking up again. Um, Credence allows the Obscurus to take over and it ravages the city. I mean, like, ravages... The foursome see it from the rooftop, and Newt decides to go after the Obscurus. Goldstein follows, and um, Jacob and Queenie share a moment and sort of hang back. Um, Graves watches the Obscurus and tries sucking up to credence again. Newt and Goldstein realize who the Obscurus is and try to save him. Goldstein gets into a wizard's duel with Graves, but he disappears away, and the president shows up and says to contain the Obscurus, aka kill it. Newt tries to help. The Obscurus keeps wrecking the city and just about kills a crowd of cops, and then the Obscurus is gone. Newt looks for it while wizards set wards in the area. Um, Goldstein barely sneaks in under the wards. In the subway, Newt tries to talk to the Obscurus, so he finds it. Credence reforms, um, because of course the Obscurus is like this dark cloud thing, so so it turns into Credence again. And Newt tries to help him and talk to him, but Graves comes after them. Um, Shaw Sr., arrives at the scene just as the president is trying to deal with the situation. So all hell is breaking loose right now. The whole world sees the wizards. Uh, Graves is electrocuting and beating the snot out of Newt. um, And, and Credence is, you know, still being Credence until he lets the Obscurus take over and goes after Graves. Um, With disapparation, both uh, Graves and Newt, they, they barely escape. Um, Goldstein holds off the Obscurus with compassion like Newt. So she shows up and she's trying to talk to Credence because she obviously knew Credence, she cared for him. But the wizards bust in, upset Credence, and fire into the Obscurus, seemingly obliterating it. Graves gets into an argument with the president about concealing their community. He resents having to hide. He defends himself against an onslaught of wizard fire, but one of Newt's creatures traps him and they grab his wand. Newt casts a spell that reveals who Graves really is. Grindelwald! Jacob and Queenie show up. The president apologizes for all of her, everything. Newt notices some possible bit of Obscurus getting away, sort of floating into the air. And the wizarding community seems to be exposed until Frank the bird breaks free of the suitcase and disappears into a storm. The rain causes people to forget. And the wizards go around repairing the city. Uh, apparently Frank has Obliviate Venom. That's really strong. Um, I don't remember that being mentioned before, but Newt mentions it now. And of course, the ministry officials want Jacob obliviated too. They all say goodbye to each other. Jacob walks into the obliviate rain. Queenie kisses him and he's back to normal. So he doesn't remember anything until later when Newt knocks into him and switches cases the case that's left for him has Occamy or silver eggshells. So Occamy eggshells are made of silver. So he can start his bakery. Newt heads home as well. He and Goldstein talk about Lita a little bit and have sort of an awkward romantic moment where Newt promises to come and see her again. And then last we see Jacob has a bakery. He's making goods based on the creatures he met, even though he can't remember them. And Queenie comes to the shop and Jacob may or may not remember his adventures. I'm Jess Aducci, once again, signing off.
0: Whew, man, she really got through that, didn't she?
1: Yeah, there, man, you weren't you wrong. There's just so much going on in this movie. I know when we sat down and watched it again recently together, there was like, an, the entire storyline with John Voight's character was like, uh, almost a surprise, even though it was the third time I'd seen the movie, because it, there's just so much going on in this movie that it's hard to to keep up with it
0: all. You know, I think I said the same thing she did, which was I totally forgot John Voight was even in this movie. Audience, if you're saying that now, you're not alone. <laughs> yes, John Voight was in the movie. He was a nomad. And he was apparently really important and probably will be later. I I do love one thing she did was she described the group as Newt, the Baker and the Weird Chick. I thought that's a great band name. You just you just need to be named. Please welcome to the stage.
1: Newt, the Baker and the Weird Chick. (sighs) That totally would have been a band that did a guest episode in like season one or two of Buffy at the Bronze.
0: yes. Gee, I wonder what you're watching right now. Um. <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> it's no secret you said it in our last movie fixers. So we both said we've liked this movie, but do you want to go into what it is that we did like about the movie?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. I there's so much. Like this, this section of this episode could go on for a while. I think actually longer than some of our previous episodes because I I do like so much about this movie. I like. Um, I love the relationship between Jacob and Queenie. Like, they're, they're honestly the stars of the movie, to be honest. Um, for a movie called Fantastic Beasts that's about beasts and creatures, I liked the creatures in this movie a lot. Um, I like the, you know, the costume design is great. The, the, the general, like, production design really continues what those last few Harry Potter films really were doing great, which was, like, the look of the world. Um, little nods to the original movies uh, made me really happy a lot. I feel like there maybe could have been a little more tying it to the originals, but it was nice to have what we got. Yeah, I mean, and I and I liked the beginning a lot and I liked where we ended. There was just a lot of a mess in the middle, and that's that's really where I think we're gonna both concentrate on fixing. Um, I, I, am kind of on the fence about Eddie Redmayne. I think his character, Newt, uh, Scamander is an interesting character. I think he's a very non-traditional lead, like as a hero. Um, you and I talked a little bit about how he may or may not be on the spectrum. He's just, he's, he's not your typical, um, leading man, which I think makes him a little inaccessible. But whenever we finally get Jacob, you know, his basically his Ron, you know, his his sidekick, he becomes kind of that anchor for the audience. And I I just can't reiterate how much I like Jacob and specifically Jacob's relationship with Queenie. Like it's it's the whole movie for me.
0: I would like to know if uh, J.R.R. Martin uh, or J.R.R. (laughs) Martin. Yeah. Jeez. Wow. I was about to say Tolkien, too. Why am I blanking J. on R.
1: Tolkien Martin Rowling.
0: Yes, thank you. It's
1: all one author that just changes their One name. just... Yeah. She's an it's... animagus.
0: <laughs> no, but seriously, I would like to know if Rowling uh, deliberately intended... Because she wrote and was way more involved in these movie scripts than she was in the originals. She wrote and the
1: screenplays. If,
0: right. If she intended movies. for Newt to kind of have more of a an autism kind of look. It's just the way he didn't meet, make a lot of eye contact. It's just the way he did like seem really kind of just like uncomfortable in a crowd and being like addressed very directly. Yeah. And, and it was the way that he looked at Jacob at the end and said, you know, cause Jacob's like, why did you keep me around newt? And he goes, well, because you're my friend. Like he made that decision. He made that individual connection. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know everything about, uh, people with autism and yeah. you know the spectrum but those are things that I know are like like you make very specific and very direct connections and then you you really hold on to them is is definitely part of it and that would be so cool to have a hero yeah who you know is represented representing that uh, it, and it would be great if if we knew that not like it was intentional like we have to make a big thing of it in the story but it was intentional Just the way, like, Rowling later came out and said that, you know, hey, Dumbledore is, in fact, gay. It's, like, it's not like it's a huge win, but it's just like, oh, cool. Yeah. And the impression that I
1: get, and this is all speculation and theory, but the impression that I get is that he he is written that way and portrayed that way on purpose. But either because of the time period, because this is set in 1927, I think, if I remember correctly. Mm Mm-hmm. So it's after
0: World War One, during Prohibition, right?
1: So it's either possibly a little bit because of the time period. I don't know, like when autism was first really recognized and given a name. That would be a thing I don't know, um, and it also could just be that she doesn't want to like shine a light on it necessarily and make it a big deal, and make just, it about just have that. it right. be a character trait that exists without having to constantly be like oh you did this with your autism like you know what i mean like we that, yeah. that's such a lazy way to write a character anyways
0: right no i agree i i would i would like i like was saying i would like to know outside of the story sure. like just have the writer say something but it, i don't think it needs to necessarily be said in story totally agree i think just yeah um other things i liked unless you weren't done
1: no i mean i i, I touched on it mine, mine were very broad strokes there, there were just lots of general things Mm -hmm. i liked about the movie um i i I do i I agree with all
0: of that too the the monsters are fantastic pieces as you will were were spectacular but the other thing that was even more spectacular probably the most spectacular thing for me just overall matt and you probably know what i'm about to say it's, (laughs) it's 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 colin farrell's outfit yeah Colin, Farrell, I mean Colin Farrell is an attractive, dark-haired Irishman. No bias here. A uh, very beautiful man, but his, his, his costuming, his outfit. Oh, I just, I just want to wear all of that and walk around in 1920s New York wearing all. Of I that
1: can't wait for you because... to pull that cosplay together. That's going to be an exciting oh. Dragon Con for me.
0: Cosplay? That'll just be me, me going out to dinner. <laughs> true. That's true. Uh, but. We we do definitely feel this movie needs to be fixed, and and with that said, there's we're, we're talking a, we're we're beating around the bush we're we're touching on it, but what is it that you think really fell flat in this movie, Matt?
1: It's there's just too much. Much like the title is a lot, the movie itself was a lot. There's just there's so many storylines. You have the 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 new Salem, is that what they're called? New Salem, New Salemers. Yeah. The new Salemer storyline. The which, Witch Hunters yeah. is
0: uh, what, which Jess called them, which I don't know if anybody else is a gamer, but that just, it just kept making me think of the Witcher. Uh, yes. She-
1: <laughs> I can see that. Yeah. So they have their storyline. You have the, the completely forgettable storyline with John Voight's character who's playing, like I think he's a governor or he's some sort of politician. And you have the storyline of Newt coming to America to and it takes forever for us to get to why he's even in America. He's there to, um, return a creature to the the, the Midwest, right? Isn't that right?
0: Right, Arizona. That's
1: right. Is there to return a creature? You have, t- uh, Tina and her storyline of being sort of a, um, a problem child in the American Ministry of Magic, which has like a weird uh, acronym, if I remember correctly. Uh, yeah, there's just, there's too much. Well, and then you have the entire storyline with Credence, and I don't know. There's just, there's too many storylines oh, yeah. in this movie. I, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I can just keep thinking of new ones, even more storylines.
0: Yeah, you, you haven't even touched on all of them. And something I want to add to that is part of what made the movie a little hard to get into is the, like with most stories, you don't want to just say what's going on from the beginning. You want to kind of let audiences like figure it out as you go, but there was just so much to figure out in this movie, including who all these characters were. And I think, the title is a bit misleading. Uh, It's safe to say you don't need to have necessarily seen the Harry Potter movies or read the books to appreciate this movie at all, but there's definitely a lot of nods. And the biggest nod is in the title, which is fantastic beasts and where to find them is a canonical book in the Harry Potter world. Like it's a book that Harry Potter, you know, had to bring to school and like read from it was written by our main character in this movie. Yeah. And it just, it led me to believe just because I knew that, that this was gonna be about the, you know, how this book was authored. And it's it's so not about that at all. And this the Fantastic Beast title is carrying over into the crimes of Grindelwald like be, almost begrudgingly, because the Fantastic Beast part is just sort of like an element. It's not like Harry Potter was yeah. called Harry Potter and the because it's all about Harry Potter. This is I feel like they they did this title and they didn't realize That everybody was, it's to sell it, they're gonna need to connect it. Right. And and keep it Well, and I'll just go ahead and and
1: tell you this, because it's not really a spoiler. Uh, In the second movie, he's already written the book. The book's already, and it's such a throwaway. Like, he even has a line, Oh, did you get a chance to read my book? So, like, that's how unrelated these movies are to even this damn book, because Mm -hmm. he's writing it in this first movie, and then it's already done and completely unimportant to the plot by the second movie.
0: <laughs> and yeah, and that's just, with all the mystery and unknown going in. like, even if you know about the Harry Potter world, going into this as a viewer, it, it, it was just, there were too many plots, too many stories, too many unanswered things going on for too long that you just couldn't keep track. And so I just felt like, what? like kind of lost for the beginning of it even though there's fun stuff happening and you're starting to get to know the characters mm-hmm. it's it, i think it's why we can go back and watch it again and again and remember plot points like the you know the politician story that included John Voight and go oh yeah i forgot about that bit because really all that was was a setup for what will obviously be important in the future and yeah there was and, a, i feel like there was that.
1: a lot in this first movie that was Absolutely meant as misdirect for the audience, which, I, I mean, I guess is amusing and, and in the this movie first time so you see confused. it, but uh, for a rewatch, the those misdirects are like, well, this is, th- none of this means anything because it's not going anywhere.
0: Right. I think it was a little too soon for misdirects mm-hmm. uh, in this movie, especially because it's setting up a larger story and a larger tale.
1: Yeah, well, and too uh, many misdirects. Like, it's one thing... Mm-hmm. Like uh, I always think about the very first Harry Potter film, where you think you know Harry spends all that movie just convinced that Snape is 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 at the root of everything, and it's right. all been a misdirect, and it's Quirrell at the end. Spoilers for those who haven't seen the first Harry Potter movie that came out almost twenty years ago. But won't in this quir- one, it's just like there's too there's too many like there's too many gotcha moments because there's the misdirect of credence and like him. You know the whole movie. We think he's a no mage, um, or a squib, right? I think I think he calls him a squib at some point, and that right. his little sister is in fact the Obscurus. And you know, you find out that oh, surprise, he's the Obscurus. And then, I, yeah, there's just there's a lot going on. Oh, and then ob- the the big obvious you know, misdirects the whole time as to that, you know, the, the identity of Grindelwald and how he's been in our midst the entire film.
0: Right. And at that point, I just, I didn't even really, when I first saw it, I didn't think that Grindelwald was really going to be any part of this film, again, based on the title. Like they were making nods to him that it's all around this time and that we're going to get to see him in the future. But nope, they really just, you know, the game is on. They set it up right there for the next one.
1: Which, I mean, if you think about the trajectory of this, because it's going to be five films in total. Two of them have come out now. If you think about the trajectory of these films and, and what we're what we're heading into, then it makes sense that we get this big reveal. It's just, I think the way it was handled was was what was questionable to me because, you know, we get a little tiny bit of the whole, like, Harry Potter... Signature moving newspapers thing Where we see that Grindelwald has escaped You know, nobody knows where he is He murdered some people And then we don't even, like, mention the name Grindelwald At all Until the end of the movie When we realize that he was with us the whole time I think Right And, you know, you and I have talked about this in previous podcasts That, you know, when you're pulling one over on your audience You've got to be so careful Because if you keep If you hold all the cards close to your chest, then your reveal means nothing to them. They're like, "Oh, okay, so you spent all this movie, you know, establishing this cool character with Colin Farrell only to say like, psych he's actually Grindelwald." It just doesn't feel satisfying as an audience member because we weren't, you know, there was there were no clues, there was nothing. I mean, the only clue I think we we talked about was him having the Deathly Hallows symbol, which is only a clue if you're like a fan of the franchise.
0: Like, and he's, he's not the only one who could have that symbol either. It's,
1: true, but my, my point is like that it that's a stretch, even right? Like that's right. That would be like the only clue. Otherwise, we just I think didn't we're think getting we needed
0: to be looking for who the secret Grindelwald was. Like you talk about those newspapers in the beginning. It was it was a lot of newspaper clippings and a lot to take in, a lot of information to ingest quickly. Sure, and then. A lot of new stuff coming at you that's uncertain. At no point was I, I was I was I thinking we need to be trying to figure out as the audience who Grindelwald is. So when they reveal it, yeah. then it's like, oh, that's a thing. There's I no to, like we meet at one point on
1: the president of the the American um, Ministry of Magic, right? And right. there's no like you know Grindelwald might you know we 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 hear that he might be here in New York. There's no like moments to suggest that he's that he's even a factor in this. And I, I don't know, that, that's biggest, My probably my biggest gripe is with him being the big villain of this five-part series of movies, they, you know, because even in, I, I hate to keep going back to it, but even in the first Harry Potter film in the Philosopher-slash-Sorcerer's Stone, you know, Voldemort makes an appearance at the very end, you know, as being a part of Quirrell's head. Or, and, But the whole movie... We still hear talk of of Voldemort, Voldemort, of yeah, like he's, what he's, he did and his relationship mm-hmm. to Harry, and how you know we don't say his name. Like we, we built up this this person that we didn't think was among us, only to find out that the end that he was you know basically in Hogwarts the whole time as a part of Quirrell. We don't get anything like that in this movie.
0: Right. I mean, the most we get is we see the back of what we assume to be Grindelwald, like, roasting a bunch of uh, wizards in the very, very beginning of the movie. literally the first
1: 15 seconds of the movie. (laughs) And
0: then newspaper clipping saying he's bad. Heaven forbid you were still in line to get your popcorn. Yeah, and then the movie starts, like, the actual plot. And he just, he doesn't become relevant until you realize, I guess at the end, it's been him manipulating, uh, what's his name? The kid. Credence, credence. Thank you, credence. Clearwater over here, and trying to like I guess and like we never really know what his objective was. I assumed he was trying to uh, uh, indoctrinate him because he was a very powerful like entity and was going to use him towards his. No, again, he doesn't whatever. think
1: that he doesn't think that he's the obscurus. He thinks, but the when ob- he
0: finds the obscurus whatever it was like that was his end goal for even wanting to capture the Obscurus in the first place. Oh,
1: because it's a great, it's, it's one of the most powerful things in all of existence. That's, that's why Grindelwald wants it. He wants access to it.
0: And again, unless you, this is the only time when you really need any sort of prior knowledge of this universe, because you don't really know who Grindelwald is or how bad he is. Unlike Voldemort, who you get like his whole like backstory when Hagrid breaks it down for Harry and it's so unless you already know about Grindelwald, which let's get real, most people do. It it it's I don't know. It's it's just not on my on my radar when watching this movie yeah. at all. Well,
1: I think this is a good opportunity to point out that this this is probably this is definitely my biggest fix in this movie. Is especially since we're setting up a full franchise with Grindelwald as the big bad, then he needs to be. A bigger part of this throughout the movie. I think I told you I like the idea because, you know, we don't see Grindelwald in his true form until the very end of the movie. When we find out that Grindelwald is actually played by uh, Johnny Depp, but this whole time has been in disguise as Graves, who is Colin Farrell's character, I think it would have been very interesting to to see both of them throughout the movie but not realize they're the same person.
0: Ooh. So yes. so I love be that. Be seeing
1: Johnny Depp's Grindelwald possibly talking to Credence and and maybe not even necessarily knowing right away that it's Grindelwald. I don't know. Right. But but also seeing Colin Farrell's Graves like character. That be
0: the bit that we put together as the audience, but then the even bigger reveal that they're that they're being the same oh, that would have been so good.
1: So yeah, we've seen in the whole movie we see Colin Farrell, Graves, in the ministry and being kind of shady and questionable. But then when we realize that, oh wow, grindelwald has been in disguise as Graves this whole time, it just is so He's much more satisfying all of us. as yes. a viewer. Because it doesn't feel like, and then, you know, there it is. There's your, your there's, a li- what, what's the line from Boss Burgers? A lie is not a twist. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, yeah, when Linda does the, the dinner theater. Yeah,
1: a lie is not a twist. The whole movie, we've, we've been investing in this Colin Farrell character, only to find out that, I don't know, he's not who we thought he was, without any real clues, you know?
0: Right. I... I like that. I I want to touch on something else uh, just that I I think fell flat and I want your opinion on, but I want to come back to what you're saying here. W- one of the other things about this movie that really just shocked me, and maybe it shouldn't have too much, was just kind of how dark it got really fast. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, the, the Harry Potter audience, even as kids, have had time to grow up. It's been a decade. Yeah. But... I I just I felt like on the one hand you've got this cute, funny, like sla- almost slapsticky bit with the the Fantastic Beasts and Newt trying to capture them, and then you've got a lot of really dark things yeah. happening. Especially I mean, with not just the,
1: people. The the anti-witch or the. New Salem group. The
0: anti-witch, yeah, the New Salem group with, you know, uh, Credence getting, you know, disciplined with his own belt. And even though they don't show it, I mean, they make a big deal out of it because that's some messed up stuff. But at one point, Tina and Newt are, like, sentenced to death yeah, by the ministry, which is, I mean, never mind. Okay, yeah, I know, we're Americans, we have the death penalty, <laughs> penalty and this could be like that bit. But still, like, just the drawn-out way that was going to carry out was just... Ugh, okay, this well, is happening right And it's so right weird now.
1: because they talk about it being sort of
0: a humane death,
1: but right. in practice, it doesn't look. But a death for humane what? What did
0: they? But we're talking about like they're getting killed. Newt because he imported a bunch of Fantastic Beasts that shouldn't be there from his suitcase, and Tina because she kept it from the Ministry. Well, but keep and it tried in mind the order herself. to
1: execute them came from Graves. Came, came from right. Grindelwald.
0: But there was, like, no question or throwback. Like, it was just he could say that, and then a bunch of nice nurse-looking ladies were going to just pull it, do it. And I was just like, this this system's messed up. Yeah, no, (laughs) I mean, totally agreed. But to get back to your original point, you're right. Again, this
1: movie hit dark real fast. And I know I keep making comparisons to The Sorcerer's Stone, but the Harry Potter franchise, it really kind of ramped up into the darker movies. I mean, by the time we got to... Prisoner of Azkaban, which is the third film in an eight film series, then things were starting to get a little darker. We were starting to have people die. And then, you know, Lord, by the time we got to the last couple of films, it got real dark, but we, we had time to kind of work into it. I think we're kind of missing in this. How
0: how bad is this going to get in five movies? Well, exactly.
1: (laughs) And I think that's the, the, the point is we, I would have liked some more of that whimsy, that magic, that, 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 that pulls you into this world before we get right down to the nitty gritty. And it would also, if you're, if you're using those darker moments, more sparingly, they're more meaningful. You know, Mm -hmm. when so much of the movie is like making you uncomfortable and it's like foreboding and it, it kind of all starts to run together. Whereas if, you know, everything was kind of more whimsy, whimsy, whimsy. And then you have this moment of like, Oh shit. Like, oh, shit, they're going to die. Because by the time we got to their death scene, it didn't even feel that traumatic because we'd already witnessed a few pretty traumatic scenes before this.
0: Well, and then we also go back to a few more playful scenes later because they still haven't captured all the beasts. They still have more to do there. And, and they kind of go back to that playfulness. So it, it's it, it's kind of coasting, coasting on you and you don't know where to feel or yeah, what to feel. That's
1: a good point. We do have a, a whole other like goofy, silly, cute monster chase scene after that. And yeah, th- there's no there's no balance in tone in the movie. And that 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 could be so easily fixed with just maybe the rearranging of certain scenes. There's so much of this movie Agreed. that I think you both we both agree doesn't even need to be like deleted. It could just stand to be rearranged a little bit to to get a better flow and a better rhythm to the movie.
0: Mhm. So with that said, do we want to jump into this and really start rearranging this? You've already hit on like a really great fix for the Grindelwald story. Um, I like the idea of rearranging mm-hmm. a lot of what happened. And I also feel like that I, a lot of the time, two stories were just happening in tandem parallel mm-hmm. next to each other. And the only connector was is that our main character, Newt, got involved. Mm-hmm. But I feel like they could have... Maybe intertwined a little bit better, or they could have. I think what they tried to do was blame Newt for the death of the uh the political candidate, the uh, John Voigt's son. Yeah. Oh yeah, because we get that death in there, and that's not just dark. And Newt's like, no, no, no. Look at these. Look at his his injuries. That's an obscurus. And there's just like a bunch of denial, denial, denial. It it must be Newt and his creatures. I think. I think that was a good way to try and tie those two things together. If we had rearranged him, like gathering all the creatures up, all of them up first. And then maybe Tina, like, you know, they have that moment in the suitcase, but maybe she starts to get, she starts to waver in her loyalties and decides to turn them in. Yeah. Instead of just letting him go because she feels this loyalty to the ministry then, and then that backfiring on her, like it did and her realizing her mistake would have made just a little, would have had a little bit more impact. But then it would have also driven home the whole like, no, the ministry's in denial. They're claiming Newt's got another mo- like fantastic beast out there. And in reality, it's Obscurus. And Newt, with his back history about Obscurus and his investment in that, along with wanting to like, you know, prove his own innocence, then has like a more direct reason to get involved in going after this this obscurious out there. And then that's how he's going to intersect and collide. I mean, it all sort of still plays out the same. It's just, it drives the point home. No,
1: I really, really think you hit the nail on the head here. I think we almost need to spend the first half of the movie resolving his, his, his escaped creatures. And that's our time to really kind of play with the whimsy, build some character relationships between like Jacob and newt and Tina and, you know, uh, Queenie like have that be that and then like you said when once he's finally gotten all of his creatures back he ends up stumbling into this whole like debacle with the senator or whatever his name is again and get you know gets blamed for it because you know he has another creature on the loose I mean you really just kind of tied it together and again we're not even really deleting anything from the movie I mean lord knows it's a long movie and it could stand to be trimmed just a hair but mm-hmm. if we just rearranged it, to, then I think we've got a solid, solid picture on our hand. And I like what you're saying about resolve our beast's dilemma. And then that's what propels him into the, the second half of the film, into the story. Because you're, you're right as well that his reasoning for – I mean, I don't know. I guess it's it's done okay why he goes after the Obscurus because he really does love creatures more than people and to him an obscurus is just another completely misunderstood creature because uh, they mm-hmm. even say that he was in Africa I think where he where he encountered his first obscurus so like mm-hmm. his reasoning is to protect that which needs protection but i like what you're saying of him kind of getting thrown into it as a suspect being a, a little more relatable like reasoning
0: you know well, because we just don't know enough about Newt, and apparently there's history there, but we don't have it. And and once again, it's just it's like you said, all those misdirects. Like we're trying to understand the characters and understand the world while getting too many misdirects. It's like no, let's let's just make it a bit more straightforward. Again, especially on your mm-hmm. first one of five, so that you can so that your audience can follow you. Yeah. You know, like
1: it. I do I, I do really like the misdirect about Credence. I I would want to keep that for sure. Because the reveal that he's the Obscurus and not his little sister, I think, is one of the things that works in the current movie, as it is. Um, I agree. And then, again, I don't even mind the reveal of Grindelwald at the end. I just think we need to have seen Grindelwald throughout the movie so that it doesn't feel so... And then, poof, here's Grindelwald, you know? Have Grindelwald, at large, in New York, wondering what he's up to... Why he's there, what he's doing, and not necessarily knowing that he's Graves as well, and then knowing that, oh, this has been the same character the whole time, just feels so much more satisfying as an audience member.
0: Right. I would even, and maybe this is too much, but I would even, like, toy with the idea of involving him kind of in the background in Newt's adventure to recapture all the, the creatures, if only because the connection there for Grindelwald would be these. some of these are beasts of great power and just to kind of really stress his desire for powerful things. Yeah. And maybe he was working on this one element, but now he sees Newt and it's like, oh, I got another game I can be playing over here, fingers in all the pies. Uh, maybe that's too much, but I would at least toy with the idea of... of including him in the background, maybe trying to manipulate situations to get Newton in trouble or to make it harder for him to capture the creatures, uh, to, to exploit his own means. But if we don't do that, there is one, one thing I'm not sure that we need. I, I know it has purpose, but I feel like it just gets lost in this movie because there's so much already, um, is is the the nomadges in the election. You've got John Voight, who's, who's actually just like a, a wealthy businessman. Uh, from what we can tell, and he's very corporate, and his son is running for um, senator or governor or for a political seat. Right. And that's sort of... The the whole reason this story is at all important is two-factor. One, the death of his, John Voight's son risks the exposure of the wizarding world, mm-hmm. and two, it's the the son himself, the, politi- the one running for politics, is the kind of inspiration he makes himself a target for credence to kill because he was just basically like they they intersect the 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 no witch the witch hunters and they intersect with these politicians because they're trying to get the word out and i just don't see a like the whole meeting between them even though they had sort of like a mediator to introduce them i just don't I don't buy it, I don't buy it, because they didn't give them, in the end, they didn't give them the time of day, so the fact that they even got there, but this this little punk of a guy, is Shaw, is just, like, he has to go the extra mile, like, the extra mile to be just a complete douche to Credence, like, at the end, and I'm just like... Why, like, why, if you didn't care about these people, why would you go out of your way to be this mean unless the movie really wanted us to know you're a bad, you're just a bad bloke? And the only point that serves as the movie is for Credence to kill him later as an uh, obscurus. So I'm just, I'm just like, do we need that? Can Credence not just be a threat? Does he, I mean, I know he needs to kill somebody, but does it have to be a specific target? Could it not have just been in a fit of lost control? Could it have been the, I, mean, I know later it's it's the the headmistress of the the witch hunters, but could that not have been sooner? I just I I, I don't know. I, I feel like we could have done without them. The only other thing that serves is it it it, it sets up that. No matches, especially no matches of, you know, political influence and power are going to be trying to investigate the wizarding world, and that can be a threat later. Mm-hmm. But we could have done that later, too. I just – I f- I know we don't like to cut things, but for the sake of this movie and the pacing and everything else that's happening, we've got Jacob and and Newt and just our, our core four and their character development, and I just I, – I would like to take this out and, and just write around it personally.
1: I'm I'm with you. I know we try and – avoid doing that in these fixes just like deleting things altogether but sometimes i think it's necessary and i think in this case it it, it it's not adding remotely enough to the film to justify it living on in an already overpacked movie mm-hmm. well i think that's our fix um it's not a terribly exciting fix but again the movie's otherwise a, a pretty good movie like it's a good start I, to a new franchise it's a good um you know hat tip to to an existing franchise it just needs a little it needs a little reorganization
0: yeah i mean J. martin rolling tolkien got it got all the elements in there <laughs> i think it just i think it was like an over eager movie trying to do yeah. too much at once
1: exactly i completely agree well, that's our fix for Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Uh, do we want to? I'm just going to go ahead, and unless you've got anything else to say about Fantastic Beasts, I'm going to go ahead and plug my recommendation for the week. If that's all right with you.
0: Do we want to plug recommendations, or do in this, you know, we should like have an outline for this, or do we want to talk about what we're doing next time? I want
1: to go ahead and plug my my recommendation because my recommendation this week is actually the sequel to this film. Uh, that just came out the crimes of Grindelwald I went in very skeptical um, be, again because of this movie that we just talked about but uh, without giving any spoilers away I do think this new movie is much better organized like I didn't feel like kind of lost or overwhelmed by numbers of storylines um, it still has some pacing issues especially in the first half but I and I I I also really really like that even though fantastic beasts is this little tiny tiny part of the title at this point creatures and beasts and monsters still play a role in it they haven't just dropped it all together in the second movie and i really like you know when we left the movie I, i was telling the my friends that i saw it with that if this was the second episode in a five episode like netflix series or something I would say categorically it's got my attention and I'm very e- eager to see what's next. So if you were even passingly interested in this first movie or like the, the Harry Potter franchise, I do really recommend seeing the second one.
0: Cool. I have not seen it, and I actually kind of like that you and I were able to approach a very similar fix for the first one. Yeah, it took with... a lot
1: to not reference things in this episode, because <laughs> I wanted to talk about how certain mm-hmm. things did actually come into play in the second one. But I, I, I like that we treat these movies as individual things, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. Right. Even though their purpose may be grander in scope overall. Yeah, they still it still needs to be its own movie. Otherwise, you know, release them back to back with whatever completes it yep so
1: what's your recommendation for the week
0: well i've got two uh the first one i'll I'll mention first because it's related and it's not something you have to go watch it's something you should check out a lot of harry potter fans people that read the books people that've seen the movies people just like it casually have not heard of jk rowling's website pottermore.com and Pottermore.com is this fun little thing. It's it's sort of the official which house are you in. You've probably seen a hundred of these quizzes on Facebook, Busy. but this is hers, so it, it's more legit, and it tells you which house you're in, which house you're in in Ilvermorny, which is the American school, what your Patronus is. Mine's a wild boar, which is awesome. What your, what your wand would be. Mine's Aspenwood, phoenix feather core, twelve and a half inches with reasonable supple flexibility. And what all that means is you can go read. She's written a whole bunch of stuff that'll never 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 be in a book necessarily, or could never fit in like a movie. But it's just fun, like world building that she's done, and I just love that kind of world building. And I think you could have fun with it. And I'd love for everyone to to go to that and then tell me what their house is, and you know, tell me what they got, because I just love discussing that sort of stuff. It always seems to surprise people, and yet at the end, when they read more about it, they're like, "Oh no, that actually does fit me." So so check out Pottermore.com. And I've always promised to promote kind of more obscure stuff. This next one is uh, a po- another podcast that I listen to. Matt, I've had you listen to it a couple times. It's called Revisionist History. Mm-hmm. It's a by one. Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, he's, uh, he's actually – he was a journalist – um, it's it's uh, he's been doing this podcast for a while revisionist history again is what I called it or what he calls it and it just it takes a bit of history or just something that might have been overlooked or misunderstood and explores it it's usually about 30 to 36 minutes long and I love just how he tells the story I honestly I've been listening to him more and thinking I need to try and figure out how to like talk or or explain something the way he does because what he does is he tells you about the topic and then all he has to say after explaining it is whether he loves it or it just, it makes him angry or what like his emotions are already understood after he's done explaining it to you. And I just think, and it's always interesting. It can be about stuff I've, I've never thought of stuff. I have I had no interest in. He always hooks me for that 30 minutes. I listened to one of his podcasts today uh, and he was talking to a music producer who, uh, Like, uh, of, and the one, like, some of the people he worked with specifically were like the Beastie Boys and uh, Johnny Cash when he came back and started doing like covers and things like that. And I won't go into it. You should just go listen to it. It's a great podcast. It was super interesting. And I'm not typically a huge music guy, but I was like, whoa, that's cool. And it's, it's, his voice is very like soothing and peaceful, very, very unlike mine. So it, it it should be a, a good listen.
1: Nice. Yeah, that's a good recommendation. I, I've listened to a few episodes of that podcast myself, and I do really like it a lot. Well, before we wrap up, we should go ahead and tell everybody what our next episode is going to be about. Do you remember or want to tell them, or do you want me to take it?
0: I'm pretty sure I remember. This is the one I was dreading when we did Frozen, thinking it was coming next. Nope, but now it's... nope, it's
1: not that one. You're wrong.
0: It's not that one? Nope. I'm wrong. What are we doing, man I...
1: Our next episode <laughs> so of Movie Fixers is going to be another one of our... Um, Non-traditional episodes We're not doing a a specific movie But instead a a genre of movies And in this case We are specifically doing holiday movies Um, I'm not entirely sure What all we're going to talk about in this episode But I am excited to talk about Some of our favorite Christmas movies um, The concept of other holiday movies Uh, Obviously there's Halloween movies There are uh, There's a conversation to be had About possibly Thanksgiving movies It'll be interesting to talk about the the concept of holiday movies.
0: Yeah. So, and for this one, audience, send us some comments. Uh, you know, let us know what what your favorite holiday movies, Christmas movies, Halloween movies. I mean, Halloween movies that specifically deal more with the holiday, not just horror movies, and um, and anything else. Just if you even if it's a movie that you traditionally watch. At this time of year, every year, I, I would accept that if you can give us, like, a what and a why and how it got started. It doesn't have to be related. Yeah, but, absolutely. But, yeah, we want to just go into that sort of traditional thing. And I, I definitely want to bring to it a lot of holiday movies I love and some that I found, in, like, and then went back and watched later that didn't hold up. And just that's the sort of joy of having, like, a movie that's set to a specific period of time and that, you know, that you just watch traditionally.
1: Yep. Well, that's it for this episode of Movie Fixers. I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, our take on our fix for Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them. Tony, you want to give us our credits?
0: Yeah, credits are your host, myself, Tony, and best friend, best host, co-host ever, Matt Goad. Hello. Uh, Executive producers are Hayden Smith and Chrissy Faith. We have summaries provided by Jess Aducci, artwork and other cool graphics provided by Nick Aducci. Love the Aducci's. They're the best. And uh, just thank you to all of you, our audience, who keep us watching this. We're trying a lot harder to to make this... Make this more more enjoyable for you, and we're just going to keep getting better. So let us know what you think. In fact, real quick, Matt, where can they let us know what they think?
1: They can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash onlyontsd. You can find us online at 30something.digital. That's 30something spelled out dot digital. There is no dot com. Uh, we're also on Instagram at onlyontsd, and you can also email us at contact at onlyontsd. We will get messages at all those places, sometimes
0: in a timely manner and sometimes less so. We do our best. With that, Matt, I think uh, I think we've got a good fix here, and I think we kept it, well, at least our part under an hour. We'll see how it goes when you edit it. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> all right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you in a couple weeks with Movie Fixer's Holiday Movies. Bye.